I'm going to dive in today. The title of the message is The Greater Exodus. The Greater Exodus. And I really got this title from looking at uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the realities of Jesus being raised from the dead. And what are the things that changed after he was resurrected and raised from the dead? And the last two messages related to that. One was the new covenant or the new, new creation. That we are new creations after Jesus raised from the dead when we're born again. And we need to think that way. The second was a reinterpretation of Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament was interpreted a, a certain way. And then they got to the, the New Testament when Jesus raised from the dead. And all of a sudden they looked at Old Testament square, uh, scriptures differently than they had before. They got updated. Oh, that's what that means. Or, oh, that's what that means. And they brought it in to a New Testament understanding after Jesus raised from the dead. And uh, I heard many comments about people that were appreciated that message and how it helped them get set free. Today we look at a greater exodus. Kind of a strange title. You know, we don't often think about there's exodus happening today, but there are. I mean, you look at countries that are war-torn, like Ukraine, for example. What's happening? There's an exodus of people leaving that nation. A couple of years ago, when the United States pulled out Afghanistan, and all of a sudden the Taliban came back in, there was an exodus of people out of that nation into other nations. Sometimes there's natural disasters like Syria where an earthquake took place and the infrastructure of that, that area didn't have the ability to respond very quickly and people left. There was an exodus out of that nation into other nations so that they could find food and shelter and, and maybe some direction for their family. We in the United States have exodus out of states. There are certain states that people are exiting from. They're done with the laws and the policies that are being passed my youngest son lives in Nashville and, and his family, and he's a part of a small group there in a church, and probably three-quarters of the small group is one family that left New York, and they said, we're done with New York. We're headed to Nashville, and I'm not saying if you're in New York, you, you, if God's called in New York, stay in New York, but they, they just reached the end. You have people moving out of California, and, and they're, just, they're just done with the policies and laws of saying, we're going to locate someplace else, and there's an exodus that is happening as a result of that. Well, the exodus in the Bible is a little bit different than those, because the exodus in the Bible, God was in control he was in charge of that exodus from the beginning to the end. He was the one calling the shots. He was the one deciding where they would go and what they would do and when they would come out. God was totally in charge, which is a little different than the ones that we have happening today. Not that God's not involved in, in helping people find a, a different place to live. But the exodus, if you remember, Joseph was the one that came down. He was sent down. And he was, he was put into slavery. He was sold into slavery. And then uh, after God promoted him out of slavery, he became second in command of the nation. And there was a famine that was taking place. It was going to last seven years, really, by a prophetic word. And, and so they were early on in the famine. And Joseph, God had given Joseph wisdom of knowing how to save up to uh, prepare for this famine. And, and so what ended up is his family in the promised land ended up coming down and joining him in Egypt. And they settled in a place called Goshen. And there was, they said there was 70 of his family that came down and settled in Goshen. Well, over the next 400 years, that was the length they were in Egypt, that family grew to, numbers tells us, there was 600,000 men 
So if there were 600,000 men, then there was probably 600,000 women, just you know, doing the math. And then if they're all Catholics, they all had 10 kids. <laughs> so you get into the millions pretty quick, right? And that was the amount of people that God led out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. My, you had to have God in charge of that amount of people, right? Yeah. To feed them, to take care of them, to watch over them, to defeat their enemies along the way. God had to be in charge of that one, and he was. He was the one that decided when they would leave and come out, and he was the one that brought them through into the promised land. Well, the people, after they, I mean, God did amazing things, bringing them out and, and, and in the wilderness and providing for them, but what they ended up doing is they ended up whining and complaining. They ended up thinking, ah, maybe we're better off in Egypt. I mean, they reached a little hardship. And instead of trusting God, they said, ah, we'd be better off in Egypt. Let's just go back there. That really upset God. He, he was not, not in favor of that at all. And so he said, as a result of your attitude and your unbelief, then the only way I can deal with you, and again, God made the decision because he knew the heart. We couldn't make that decision because we're not God. But he made the decision, I, I need to let this generation die off. And he let them do it naturally. That's why it took 40 years for them to die off naturally. And then he basically took those 20 years old and younger into the promised land of what he had designed, the first generation that came out to be there. But again, they didn't believe they wanted to go back. Now I'm going to... So, what I'm going to do here is make a comparison between the Old Testament exodus and an exodus that we are in today. All right? There's parallels between the old and the new. Now, the exodus they were on was they were geographically moving from Egypt into the promised land or into Israel as we know today. The exodus that we are on is moving out of sin into sonship. That's the exodus that we are on today. And there's parallels that happen between the old and the new in that journey that they were on and also that we are on. I want to start with Colossians chapter 1. And it's kind of a, kind of a big picture type of, of, uh, of verses here. But it, it really demonstrates how God is, what is God has done with us in moving us out of our spiritual exodus into sonship that he has called us for. Again, it's, it's kind of high level, broad brush, but here we go. First, uh, or Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. What a, what a powerful set of verses that says that God has us on a spiritual exodus of coming out of the bondage of sin that we were born with, with Adam's nature, into sonship of being born again and being loved by the Heavenly Father and have an amazing brother in Jesus. What an amazing transition and journey that we come out of one into the other. And that's the journey that we're all on today. And yet it's a, a great journey to be on because God has declared, as we'll find out towards the end of the message, that we win at every, every, uh, every place where it could go wrong. If we do it God's way, we win. 
I want to look at these two couple of verses here for a few moments. Is he qualifies that you, you can receive the inheritance. Why? Because we trust Jesus with our life. And then we get qualified into sonship in the area that he's brought us into. He's decided to bring us to that place, into sonship. That was his decision, not ours. That we would actually have a new nature, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago. It says he, he rescued you. Some translations say delivered. He delivered you out of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his dear son. So when you're born again, this is actually a very like immediate thing that happens. When you're born again, you're, you're immediately brought out of darkness and immediately placed into sonship, out of the king, into the, the kingdom of God, into his lightness. You're immediately placed there. And then you have to figure out how to live that way. That's a process that we're going through in our exodus of living that way. And then we're placed into that environment, and so then there's a, there's, a, there's a journey that we go through in our exodus in order to understand our sonship. Now, I talk about sonship, ladies. You are included in this. If you let us into being a part of the bride of Christ, we will let you into the sonship deal, all right? So that's just the way it works. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a term, but it's also, it also includes uh, every human being that's born again. All right, let's jump in here, the outline. Number one, the exodus from Egypt set a pattern for the New Testament exodus. In Micah 6, 4, it reads, For I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. So we have a, a five-point pattern here of comparison between the old and the new. Let's jump in. In the Old Testament, they were in captivity by slavery of the Egyptian system. They were, in, they were in bondage. They were in captivity of the Egyptian system. In the New Testament, the equal to that is we were enslaved by sin, given to us by Adam's nature. That was what we were born into. The scripture says, as Adam in Adam all die, so in Christ we're all made alive. The second principle there is in the Old Testament, God heard the cries and took action to bring them out. Just to today is that God doesn't automatically save us. He waits for us to call out to him. The Bible says that anybody calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What if you don't call on the name of the Lord? You won't be saved. That's the way it works. He waits for us to call on the name of the Lord. And he does everything possible to draw us and put us in situations where we are faced with the fact of whether he's God and we're not. We, we, we all probably understand that reality. So God waited until the, the children of Israel were crying out in Egypt for deliverance. And then he said, I'm going to save you and I'm going to rescue you and bring you out. The New Testament example of that is that God promised to send a Savior for our sins. He told Joseph, uh, Jesus' earthly father, this child will save his people from their sins. The third Illustration there is Moses was the leader and mediator of the journey out. The journey out of Exodus, the children of Israel. Moses was the leader and the mediator. Let me just read a couple of scriptures out of 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5 that uh, highlights that. He, reads, he records, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the, the, the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses. Do you catch that? Who are we baptized into? Jesus, right? 
But the children of Israel were baptized into Moses. Moses was the mediator. He was the one that went to God on their behalf. And he was also the one that when God was like, I'm going to take these people out, Moses defended them. He was like the intercessor. He was in between God and the people. So he was the mediator of this exodus. It goes on to say that they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. So Jesus actually came through in the Old Testament sex as a physical rock that gushed out water when they needed it. Number five, uh, verse 5, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered all over the desert. And they died out, as, as, uh, again, in a natural death along the way. Now in the New Testament, Jesus is the pioneer and mediator of our journey. So he's the one that navigates the new covenant. He's the one that, again, uh, guides and mediates this exodus that we are in, out of sin, into sonship. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason... Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So we find there in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being the mediator of our exodus, where Moses was the mediator of the children of Israel under the law. Here's the next one. In the Old Testament, obedience was required, but it was by the flesh for freedom. It wasn't by the Spirit. They didn't have the benefit of the Spirit back in the Old Testament. So essentially what they did is they did the best they could. They followed the laws, blessing would come, they broke the law, then curses would come. That's just how it was in the Old Testament. That's why we live with better promises in a better, better time than the Old Testament lived in. And so that's what we uh, discover there about uh, obedience. It was obedience by the flesh and following the law. But in the New Testament, obedience is still required, but it's by the Spirit for freedom. It's by the Spirit for freedom. Galatians 5 talks about, it says, If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And if you obey my commands, you are my disciples, it said in John. Some of you were here two weeks ago when I brought two coats, two sport jackets, and I put one on and that represented the old nature. And then I said, the old nature, when you come to Christ, doesn't get taken off. But what happens is you put on a new nature, and that is Jesus Christ, and filled by his spirit. And there's another coat on top of the coat you were born with. And I showed that as an illustration, and that's true. Because when we put on the coat of the Spirit, then the old nature acts as if it's dead. It can't move. But we get to choose whether or not we don't follow the Spirit and we open up the old nature and begin to think that way or live that way or react that way. We have that choice. We participate in that. But we have the new nature on top of the old, just like flying in an airplane. You wouldn't think that gravity works in an airplane, would you? Just step outside the door and you'll find out. But in the airplane, oh, gravity doesn't exist anymore. Yes, it does. The old nature exists, 
But the new nature has been put on, and therefore as we follow the Spirit, walk in the power of the Spirit, then the old nature is dead. That's what the Scripture teaches. So I'm bringing you up again in some, some understanding here of, of how we should think. The last one I have is in the Old Testament. Guilt-free living was granted by animal sacrifice and blood. Guilt-free living. When you brought your sacrifice and when the Day of Atonement happened, that all the sins that you committed in ignorance were wiped away. So that was guilt-free living. An animal sacrifice, Day of Atonement. But in the New Testament... We have guilt-free living giving, giving, given by Jesus because of his sacrifice and blood. It was his sacrifice as the God-man. It was his blood that was righteous. And therefore, that's how we receive guilt-free living. My point is this. There was a physical movement in Exodus out of Egypt into the promised land. But these spiritual principles apply for our exodus out of the bondage of sin and into the freedom of sonship. All right, let's dive a little deeper. Let's get practical here today, all right? That's where I like to go. Set the stage and then do the play. <laughs> here we are. Number two, our exodus is real and our victory is sure. I'm talking about our spiritual journey now. In Romans, it uh, records chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. I'm using the New Living Translation. Says, Paul says, oh, what a wretched person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow, there it is. Paul names it, and then he also says the, the solution is secure. After Jesus was resurrected, we have this opportunity to become born again. And then after we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. In fact, the scripture says the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now we skip over that a lot. And recently, Wanda and I have been going through some things as I shared earlier that that verse has been coming real to us. Wait a minute. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me. If you're born again, lives in you. Wow. Can, I mean, we just, I think we need to sit and just soak on that reality a little bit. How much do we think about that? The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, if you're born again this morning, dwells in you. Wow. That's amazing. So maybe we need to figure out how to tap into that or understand that in order to see that power come out in order to glorify God. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's where we're going today. You see, I don't subscribe to the term, the devil made me do it. I, that doesn't work with me. Did the devil lie to you? Probably. Did the devil deceive you? Yeah, he could do that. I would agree with that. But to say the devil made me do it takes your responsibility out of that statement. I can't buy into that. You know, there's those that take substances for a long time and they claim that in taking those substances, their brain is altered. Like they can't make a, a, a rational decision because their brain is altered related to the substances that they've taken. And oftentimes go to the example of a, a, of a man that was extremely demonized in Jesus' day. In fact, when they asked him his name, he didn't give his personal name. He gave the name Legion, which means, Legion means a thousand. So that means that 
you know, it's commonly interpreted that there were a thousand demons that were inhabiting or barraging this guy. And yet, he made the personal decision to run to Jesus. If there were anybody that I think would run away from Jesus because of being harassed by a thousand demons, it would have been him. But he made the personal choice to come to Jesus because he knew Jesus could set him free. I was uh, sitting with a young man, and, and he had gotten himself in a bad situation. He began to unfold how you know, the situation was and what it was and what happened. And, and he began to paint the picture, basically, that it was the other person's fault that they were in that situation. And I stopped him, and I said, no, wait a minute. I said, you participated. You made the decision to participate. And he kind of looked at me like, that's a strange idea. And yet it's important. We make a decision to participate. We might like to, not like to take ownership of it or uh, uh, that we did, but that's just, that's just the way it is. The world, the world doesn't think that way. The world wants to blame people, not take ownership, blame it on somebody else. I mean, that's constant. We're coming up into a you know, presidential election here in a couple of years. That's going to be all of that, blaming somebody else for the condition we're in. No, why don't you accept responsibility? And so we have to realize that that uh, we've been kind of uh, discipled by the world in some of these things, and we have to clear out our thinking to understand, well, how does God think about this? And then we have to, to wade in and, and to go for it. So a couple of things there in digging deeper is that from the enslavement of sin into sonship of the beloved Father, I want to look at how Paul reasons this out in this exodus that we're in. In Romans 8, 12 through 16, he records this. Therefore, we have an obligation. It is not to the sinful nature or the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature or the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. We sang that this morning. But you received the spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What an exodus. Out and in. Paul describes that into um, in Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 16. Now sometimes we get trapped into uh, I, I would call it kind of a sin hunt all the time. You know just looking for oh, where's the next way the devil's going to trip me up and what am I doing wrong and, and, and why isn't this happening and we kind of focus on that and really what that's doing is that's, that's causing you to look back all the time rather than to look forward in what you're walking into and that is sonship with God as your heavenly father. Uh, Billy walked in my office this week and he had a, had a uh, Discover Crossroads manual and uh, they were some of the first that, that joined uh, the church then and I was like, wow, that's amazing and we looked through it and laughed and and uh, it, it was shorter than the one I have now. <laughs> but some of the same material that was in that one, and we figured out it was around the year 1999, some of the same material was in that one that is in the one today. It's been added to and shaped and everything. So. 
But I was reading down Billy's notes on a column, and, and, and I discovered one place that I thought, this is relevant today. And it talked about our salvation. The salvation that we've been given really is in three parts. And first of all, the salvation that God has given us is that the, the first thing I want to mention is that when you receive Jesus, you are forgiven from the penalty of sin in your life. In other words, there's no penalty box anymore. God, God just cleanses you from the past. He gives you a new nature. He just cleanses you. You're done with the past. All right? In the future, we will be set free from the presence of sin. That's going to be amazing. I can't imagine what that will be like. I have heard of stories of glimpses of places on earth where God's presence was so strong that people didn't have thoughts of sin. So it is possible, and yet we don't think that way, and we oftentimes don't live that way. But one day we will be without the presence of sin, totally in the presence of God. That's going to be amazing. But in the meantime, between no penalty and the presence of sin being gone, we're in this place where you and I live called we, can, we, we deal with the power of sin. That's our struggle of the power trying to overtake us and the Spirit saying, no, I'm the winner of this if you would let me. And yet that struggle that we are in of the power of sin and also the power of sonship. And so we want the power of sonship to grow stronger in our life and the power of sin to grow less in our life. That's the goal. But there's a power struggle that's going on. And Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 7. I'll just, I'll just read a, a small portion of what he writes. The struggle is intense, but the outcome is secure. That's the point. Here we go. Let's, uh, let's look at what he, what he says. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 and 25 through 25. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I have God's law with, I, I, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war within my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a wretched, miserable person I am. Who can free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see, this is how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. Because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. There it is. He is, he is detailing out the struggle of the power between the flesh and and the spirit. He's detailing that out. And I would say that most of us could relate. Maybe for you this morning, perhaps it's more intense in that way than it is other times. Paul recognized that along the way, he got duped. He got pulled. He got, I don't, you know, Paul, sometimes we, we, we don't see some of Paul's imperfections, but they're there if you look for them. That, and he acknowledges that he's the, the least of anybody that should be pro, uh, proclaiming the gospel. If he, was a, he was a terrorist before he became a, a believer. And so, uh, uh, again, the enemy probably tried to remind him of that time and time again. But if he slipped up or he failed or he, or he sinned, whatever, Paul never got depressed. He never got hopeless. He never lost his faith. 
And that's the thing that I think the, the Western church needs to hear, that sometimes when we get tripped up and we get lied to and we get uh, you know, led into some kind of way and we go, oh, that wasn't God, but now i got these consequences I'm dealing with, that we get, we get into that, suddenly then we just turn it on ourselves. And we get depressed and we get more hopeless and we think God's, where is he at? He doesn't care. But that's not what Paul did. Paul said, no, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand. I'm going I'm to, you know, stand in this place until I see the goodness of God come back. That's what Paul did. And I think that's something for us to take, keep in mind as we walk through tough challenges in our life. When we do get hoodwinked and we get lied to and we fall into the trap of the enemy, what's our response after that? The apostle Paul stood up. I mean, he was like, you know, I'm going for this. That's kind of what Wanda and I are doing right now. We're like walking through some things and we're not backing down. We're standing up more. We're getting up, you know, off of our heels and, you know, um, yeah, getting off my heels on the, on the balls of my feet saying, yeah, come on, God, let's, let's do this. And so we're, we're, we're walking through our own journey as probably you are as well. But I, I just pointed that out that Paul, Paul never, never just, you know, just kind of went, um, you know, lame and and uh, walked away. No, he jumped in more. So the old nature is dead as long as the new nature is in charge. I shared that earlier about the two jackets, and that is a reality in Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 7, he talks about the struggle. Romans chapter 8, he talks about the victory. Very secure. Let me read it for you. Romans 8, 1 through 6. So now there is no condemnation, or we could say there's no penalty. There is no penalty... For those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature or flesh. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied, who no longer follow our sinful nature, instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So what direction do you want to go? What exodus do you want to go on? You want to go into to life and death? I mean, I mean uh, sin and death? You want to go into life and peace? I choose life and peace. I would think that any no-brainer person would say, well, I want life and peace. They not, might not be able to journey that way, but they certainly would appreciate having life and peace. That's what people that are exiting out of nations today, they want life and peace. So the positions that we have, one is a position of sin, the other is a position of sonship. Those are two different positions. Born into sin. Born again, positioned into sonship. Here's the struggle in between two, flesh and spirit. 
the power trying to pull us one direction or the other. That's what's going on in the life that you and I live today. But hallelujah, the Holy Spirit will always win that wrestling match if you let him. He will always win that wrestling match. There's no match that he hasn't won, and he doesn't do a draw either. He pins the flesh, and he says, you're dead, but we have to participate in that. That's what he, just like the children of Israel, had to participate in coming out of Egypt and wanting to go in the promised land. Some didn't want to, but he found a generation that believed that does. And so in the same way, in our spiritual exodus, we are coming out of the bondage of sin into understanding sonship. Now, there's three domains that I want to just walk through real quickly about uh, that we are affected in this journey. The first one is our spirit. And there's times that our spirit needs deliverance. Chris spoke about this as he closed out the service. Deliverance. Now, I'm not saying deliver our human spirit. I'm not saying deliverance from the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that there's times that we do get influenced as Christians from demonic spirits. That they actually do come and try to entice us and attack us at times. And yet, oftentimes, what we do instead is we think that it's just us. That it's just a bad day. That it's just the way things are. We get schooled that way in thinking because that's how the world processes things. But it shouldn't be with us. If we're having thoughts that we know are opposed to God. In fact, I've been in situations where I've had thoughts. And I'm, I'm like, that thought is not from me. And there's times that I say, that thought is not in my heart. I mean, I'll actually say that. I'll have thoughts that are evil, that sometimes try to bombard me. And I say, no, I'm not receiving that because that's not me. And second, those thoughts are not in my heart. And that's how I battle these evil spirits that sometimes come and attack me, more intense than others at times. And we have to realize that's the kind of life that we are in. What is a demon? That's an interesting thought. It's a couple of years ago. I never really thought about it before. I said, well, it can't be an angel because an angel doesn't inhabit people. And it can't be Satan because he's a fallen angel, so he doesn't inhabit people. So it must be disembodied human spirits. And that's basically what I've come to. It's disembodied human spirits that are evil. They're ungenerated, and they're looking for a host because they're used to living in a human being. They can actually live in the atmosphere but they like being in a human being. And so that's what they look for. They look for people that are disobedient, people that are disgruntled with God, and then they begin to harass them. And sometimes they, they even come in and live inside of them. Oh, that's startling, isn't it? No, it's true. It happens, even with Christians. You can have Jesus be Lord of your life and still have a demon operating inside of you. You're like, wow, how's that be? It's just because we're complex people. And that demon may be affecting one area like anger. He may only be affecting anger, maybe only affecting lust. But you're a good worker at work, and you might be a good husband, and you might be a great, great father. But when it comes to these two things, all of a sudden, they, something gets triggered, and you feel like you're not in control. That's because a demon is influencing you. But you have the Holy Spirit living within you if you're a believer. And you say, no, I will not tolerate that. Out, leave. And the devil is so cunning because what he makes us believe is that he is us. It's like, I'm doing this. I'm having these thoughts. I'm depressed. I'm disappointed. I'm hopeless. 
He makes us think it's us, when in reality it could be a demon that is speaking those things, and we're not aware enough to call it that. So here, just again, giving you some examples of growing in awareness of this, this, this sonship that we're positioned in and what it means to operate in. So sometimes we need deliverance. All right, that's the bottom line on that. I've had deliverance, and uh, it's amazing. It's better to be on the other side. All right, Jesus spoke to it in Matthew 12, 43 and 45. It says, when an evil spirit comes out of a man and goes through places seeking rest and does not find it, then he says, I'll return to the house I left, and when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of the man is worse than the first. This is how it will be in this wicked generation. Wow, what a sad state. What's that saying? It's a basic state. If you get delivered, then fill it with Jesus. Fill it with Holy Spirit. Because they're going to, they're going to come back and say, okay, you, sw you swept the house clean, but is anybody occupying that space that the demonic influence was happening before? You say, no, I, I need to fill it with Jesus Christ because he's greater than any demonic spirit on the face of the earth. The second thing is sign up for Free Me Day. May 20th. Free Me Day is amazing. I tell you what, you will, once you go through those seven steps to freedom in Christ, you will understand the, the, the ways the enemy trips you up in ways you've never thought about it. I've been through it a multitude of times. And I always see something. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Or, oh, yeah, I'm reminded. Oh, yeah. And I go ahead and confess it and take care of it. When you come to the end of that thing, you'll understand your identity in Christ. You'll understand your sonship position when you finish up. And then you've got to walk in it. Agreed, you have to walk in it. Things can creep back in, but you've got to walk in it. But again, it's an amazing thing. So May 20th, sign up for that. Is there a sign-up sheet in the lobby? All right, Paula said, yeah, she's in. All right. The second thing that needs, to, um, that needs attention at times is our soul. And primarily, that's a renewing of the mind. The mind is kind of chief. In the soul, you got, the, you got your will, and then you got your emotions. But really, your mind is chief. And whatever your mind says, your emotions and your will will follow. Now, in the world today, that's kind of upside down. People say, follow your emotions, follow your feelings, and they become an authority for the person. You see, in these three levels of your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, each one of those is an authority that you listen to. You listen to your emotions. You listen to your will, what you want to do, what you don't want to do. You listen to your mind, what it thinks. But in, before you make a decision or before you have a feeling, you thought something. Lots of times we're not in touch with that. We're just in touch with our feelings. We're angry. But the fact is, you thought something before you got angry. You might not be in touch with what triggered you, but you thought something, and then you got angry. Anger is always a secondary emotion. So our soul needs to be healed. And that's a part of Free Me Day as well. As you go through your uh, identity process, you will also get your soul cleansed. But Paul points out in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he, uh, he points out, I'll just read two, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. What a great scripture. 
If you noticed in Romans chapter 7, the struggle that Paul was going in and going through, he said it was the war was going on in his mind. So Paul recognized in the soul area, his mind was what was needed to be renewed, and then his emotions and will would follow. All right. The third is our body. Our body. We're called to give stewardship to our body. Our body is an amazing thing that houses the Holy Spirit, that houses what, who we are, how people know us. Our body is amazing that God has given us. I mean, there's no, no creation in the earth like our bodies. They're simply amazing. And yet God has called us to be stewards of that which he's given us. And so we have to understand how to steward our body, take care of it and rest it and sleep it and feed it and exercise it and engage with it. And, and you know, all the things that our bodies do, we have to learn how to do it into the, in the position of sonship. Sometimes we understand, the world teaches us how to do it in a position of bondages but how, that brings bondage, but we want to we operate our bodies so that it brings freedom to people, not bondage to people. The world operates their bodies to bring bondage to others. We operate our bodies to bring freedom to people. That's the way we should think. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. The world has a saying, my body, my choice. Heard that one? That should not be what Christians say, my body, my choice. It should be God's body, his choice. And that should be our motto, not what the world is saying, my body, my choice. But again, that's what they say, but we have a different, different person that is, uh, that is speaking to because he's bought us. I'm not my own. I've been bought at a price. Bobby, I don't own Bobby Alger. I don't own Bobby Alger. Jesus does. Now I have to be a steward of carrying out what Jesus wants me to do. All right, I'm going to land this plane here. I want to, um, I want to just encourage you that in this process of understanding Exodus that we're in, that we, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. And that's something you accept. We will be set free from the presence of sin in the future. But in the meantime, we are in this place of this power struggle between flesh and spirit. But when Jesus resurrected from the dead and said, You're, now my spirit can come and live inside of you, we have no excuse to say that when the flesh tries to rise up and take over, that we say, nope, Holy Spirit, it's your turn. I'm giving you permission. And he goes into that wrestling match, and he wins every time. He pins flesh down and says, nope, you're done. But we have to participate in that. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes I don't. Okay, let's just be real. But this power struggle was going on. But just because we're in this power struggle and we lose at time doesn't mean that that becomes a penalty for us. That's important to understand. That penalty is done. And just because we lose in here doesn't mean that we've been slapped another penalty. 
No, we just have to confess. And in the meantime, Jesus is covering that. That's what he did. He's covering my righteousness when I'm not righteous. That's the beauty of being born again. It's a wonderful way to live. It's an exciting way to live. It's guilt-free living. Wow. Who wouldn't want that? Maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you've heard a message like this. And you're just like, wow, I don't live that way. I live in condemnation, live in penalty box, and, and live beating myself up. Well, today, just come and get free. I mean, there'll be people to pray with you. Just come to say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live with the Holy Spirit. If you're not born again, again, we'll help you in that process. If you've, if you've not been filled with the Spirit, we'll help you in that process. And just come and say, I want to live out of the Spirit, not out of the flesh. Because if you live out of the Spirit, you'll, you'll, have a, you'll lose. The battles will lose. You live out of the Spirit... You'll have endurance, you'll have patience, you'll have grace, you'll have a lot of other things. <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, wow. It's just endless. It's amazing. It's an exciting way to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for realizing that we are in an exodus as well. But it's so much different from the Old Testament exodus of coming out of Egypt, of coming out of a, the land of slavery and, and, and physically, Lord, coming out of that place. And yet, as they saw the miracles of God, they still didn't believe or trust you that they could face the giants or face the walled cities. They didn't believe that they had enough faith to face those. So God, as your people today... On the other side of this exodus we are in, Lord, I pray, Father, if there's any among us today that are living in condemnation when they've been forgiven, show them right now, if they've made Jesus Lord of their life, that there's no penalty anymore. That's not the battle. That's not the battle. That's not the fight. Give them hope this morning that as we live in this life of the struggle power struggle between flesh and spirit that will be reminded that when given over to the spirit the spirit always wins always wins and the spirit is the direct the it says the, the spirit of truth so the spirit never operates on his own it's always what jesus would say and jesus never operates on his own it's always what the father would say they're always deferring to one another, and we get the best of all three. So, Father, come and fill us with fresh understanding that we may walk in greater victory in sonship. In Jesus' name.